Welcome to The American Centrist, Episode 7. Luckily for all of us, there haven't been any highly publicized mass shootings in the past week, so we get to have our conversation on the gun debate without looking like we're politicizing the events. That being said, we do record a day before the release, so if something happens tomorrow, you can't say we politicized it. No matter what happens, let us know where you stand on gun control and the Second Amendment. It's a complex issue that affects us all in different ways, and we want to know how you see it. Centrist Pod on Twitter and, of course, our website, theamericancentrist.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcast provider of your choice. With me, of course, are co-hosts Jeff Link and Dave Kochel. They're here to help us understand some of these political maneuverings and give us some perspective from both the left and the right. Guys, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, Happy impeachment week, guys. Let's go, Lou. I, <laughs> I want to start off with Dave. Uh, I noticed something on your on your name tag on our recording software here. You want to you want to tell us what happened to you this week? Yeah. So uh, four plus years ago, I was diagnosed with leukemia. It was during the time that I was the, the chief strategist of Jeb Bush campaign. And a lot of people who follow me on Twitter and, of course, all of my friends and family knew uh, that I, you know, went into uh, treatment for uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia at MD Anderson in Houston. And so today I was there this morning for uh, my annual checkup four years after uh, diagnosis and one year after I stopped taking chemo. And I've been expecting to, you know, go every year for the next few years, maybe several years to, to get an annual checkup. And they told me today that I don't have to come back. So I got a clean bill of health, which is uh, just the best news. My family is thrilled. And it was quite a feeling walking in and out of uh, that hospital, hopefully for the last time, obviously, um, you know, uh, uh, just knocking on wood that, that uh, nothing ever comes back. But um, what a great, uh, what a great experience today to to, to, you know, kind of walk out of there free and not having to worry about going back. So it was a blessing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, it's not the topic for tonight, but I do think that that uh, brings to light that pre-existing conditions are something that can, can really affect anybody and, and something we should maybe all be mindful of. Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, uh, um, Jeff and I, will, I'm sure, get plenty of times to uh, – tangle over healthcare, but uh, I am a very committed supporter of pre-existing conditions. I think it's something that Republicans and Democrats can agree on. I know that I know that uh, Republicans get criticized for their votes, which are technically, um, you know, designed to kill pre-existing conditions. But I, I know very few Republicans or Republican polit voters or politicians who who want to get rid of them altogether, and and uh, and I, I can tell you that uh, if they were to get rid of them, uh, they would uh, they would be hearing from me uh, on the daily. Cool. Well, well, I think. Look, I, I would just like to add uh, congratulations, Dave. Um, it's been an awesome journey that you've been on, and you were uh, such a fighter through the whole thing, and. You fought the Red Devil, and for those who, <laughs> who know about it, uh, it, it's just been great, and, and it's really awesome news. But I do have to say, like, uh, I can't wait for you to give the business to all your clients that are voting against pre-existing conditions, because <laughs> they do. I don't want to spoil yeah. the mood of your success today. Uh, 
congratulations. Th thank you. And uh, it's it's worth pointing out, Jeff, you were one of the first people to uh, to visit me at the hospital. Uh, I think you came in shortly after uh, our longtime governor, Terry Branstad. I was glad that you guys kind of missed each other there for a while. But uh, anyway, it was a it was quite a quite a few years here to kind of go through this journey. But um, it's great to be out on the other side. Okay, well, I think this is all fantastic news. We're going to move on here, but uh, I think that gives us all something to think about with pre-existing conditions. Um, so there's a, a, a lawsuit that the Supreme Court is is going to let go forward that uh, regarding the Sandy Hook shooting, where the lawsuit says the North Carolina-based company should never have sold a weapon as dangerous as a Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle to the general public and alleges that Remington targeted younger at-risk males in their marketing with product placement in violent video games. Opponents of the suit contend that the 20-year-old gunman, who shall remain nameless for our episode, uh, is solely responsible for killing 21st graders, six educators, and his mother. So, Jeff, why don't you kick us off on this one? On the Democratic side, is it time to infringe on the Second Amendment? Well, we don't have to infringe on the Second Amendment. That's not what this is about. Like, what we really need to do is to have some common sense regulations on guns. And uh, th there are proposals which infringe on the Second Amendment um, that I think are unnecessary. But I, I do think um, we, we should have a discussion about whether it's really necessary to have a magazine with 50 or 100 rounds in it to kill a deer or to kill a pheasant or to kill a duck or a goose. Like, that, like if what we really want to do is protect weapons, uh, for two things. One is for sporting and hunting, and second, for self-defense. You don't need a 100-round magazine to protect yourself in your home if someone comes in. And so I'm ready to get into this discussion. Uh, I, I think the Democrats do support the Second Amendment. I think, I think that what we're doing and what we have done is we've let a special interest group called the NRA try and reset the goalposts. And what they're saying is, you know, we should allow bazookas and we should allow anything that shoots. And, and I don't think that's right. And I, I think there is a middle ground, not surprisingly, given this is the American centrist. There's a middle ground where you can say, okay, you can have a gun, but you can't have a bazooka. And that's, that's what we need to dive into here uh, on this episode. So Dave, from the, from the Republican side, is there some common sense regulation that you think the, the majority of Republicans could get behind without feeling like it's that uh, if we give an inch, they're going to t come take all of our guns? Yes, there is a ton of common ground that we can find. Most Republicans support reasonable background checks. Most Republicans support some limits on uh, the size of magazines. Republicans support and are now implementing a ban on, for instance, bump stocks, which 
takes a uh, an AK-47 and turns it into a machine gun. There, there's there's more there's more to do than that, but there's a lot of room for compromise. The problem I think we have is that uh, politics and campaigns get in the way of this. Rhetoric gets heated. Uh, uh, we, we we occasionally on this program have talked about you, you know that the the culture that we are in doesn't allow us to find common ground. It it, it causes us to be uh, to feel threatened by people who disagree with us, and this happens on both sides of this argument, and it has basically caused a you know it, it has sort of put this issue in cement so that we cannot actually move towards compromise in uh, in April of this year, you had after one of the tragic shootings, which there have been far, far, far too many, uh, you know, you had the house kind of moving, um, on, I think background checks and you had Republicans who were starting to come along with that. There were not very many votes in the house for it, but there was definitely some willingness in the Senate to start talking about the issue. They were talking about limiting, uh, magazine sizes and, and somehow, this issue just finds a way to stall uh, all the time, and and I think what it's going to take is, and, and I sort of I, I criticize my party for not finding some solution and going ahead and, and doing something. I think what it's going to take is some people to lose elections over this issue. The problem I think with some of the reasonable Democratic arguments are that they, I mean, they haven't had any electoral success on this. Republicans have. Um, you know they've been afraid to, to tackle this issue until recently. Now, now that they're doing it, you know you've got people like Beto O'Rourke out during his campaign advocating for something that was so radical that even Bernie Sanders, as Jeff reminds me, found it unconstitutional. To, to basically this, um, you know, this confiscation issue, issue the, the the buyback or or whatever we call it. But yeah, well, think, well, just I, just I just to is... be just to be clear, uh, it is unconstitutional, and Bernie pointed it out. Right, just it's slight but, clarification. But yeah. but let's let's also let's let's make sure that we understand that it it occupied a lot of the rhetorical space on this issue during at least one of the Democratic debates that we that we witnessed over the last couple of months, and it was really the issue that that Beto retreated to uh, and was driving, and I think probably it was driving some of the some of the other Democratic candidates crazy because this is this is how Democrats lose on this issue is they push too far and Republicans dig in their heels and nothing gets resolved. So on, on the on the issue of the mandatory buybacks that, you know, Sanders has pointed out, he, he believes them to be unconstitutional. There are others on the left who support, you know, whether it's mandatory buybacks or, or or buybacks that are on the verge of being mandatory, you know, are some of those candidates viable? Do you think that could lose them uh, a general election, Jeff? Yes. Well, well, hold 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 on a second. Let's let's go let's go back to the basics, um, because Lou, you said some people think it's unconstitutional, and why don't we just go to the Constitution? And, and our listeners can decide for themselves what they think. Here's what the Due Process Clause, the 14th Amendment says. Uh, the state shall not deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so 
the reason why they phrase it as a buyback is uh, it makes it sound voluntary. If it's not voluntary, it really sounds to me like it's depriving a person of property without due process of law. Like if they're not doing anything illegal with the with the assault weapon, I, I, I don't know how under the Constitution we can take it away from them. So so just to, to play devil's advocate here, uh, let's say that it was determined that these types of firearms were illegal so that it's more of a a seizure of illegal property as opposed to a mandatory buyback. So, so how does well, that that's, play that's, out? That's, that's, that's a totally different thing, with right, the same, than what Beto well, With the same effect. If he's saying they want to confiscate the guns, he said, we're coming for your, for your AR-15s. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is with, you know, avoiding some of the nuance of the language, there is a big proponent on the left that does want to remove firearms from circulation if they fall under certain criteria. Right. And I, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the best spot to be in. I was a big proponent and supporter of President Clinton's uh, ban on assault weapons. I, I think it was smart not to sell them. Right. It puts fewer Did, so weapons in the market. Did that ban have any have any measurable effect on it? Absolutely. Did. On it, shootings. Yes. At the time. It, yes, it, of course it, it did. did. It did, and it, and it, and frankly, it kept a lot of a lot of those guns out of circulation that otherwise would have been in circulation. But let's let's rank this a little bit because I think we need people to understand kind of what the some of these issues are. You've got the mandatory buyback, which is essentially confiscation, which means if you have a gun that we don't approve of, we're going to come and get it. You have the voluntary buyback, which is you know offering money to people who are willing to give up their, you know, however you classify whatever firearm you're looking for. And, you and, have, just, and by the way, there's been cities and other jurisdictions that have been doing this for a yeah. while, and it's been wildly successful. It works. It works. Yeah. You all, then you have a ban on the sale of these weapons, what, however we want to define them. Uh, that was in place for 10 years, expired, uh, and, and the but the ban on sale doesn't impact people who already possess a weapon uh, that is included in that ban. And then you have, you know, other forms of, you know, other forms of uh, of uh, controlling uh, the basically access to firearms, like, for instance, red flag laws. I think there are a handful of states, maybe uh, maybe as many as ten states, that have red flag laws, which basically allows people who see something. Uh, disturbing with someone who is a gun owner, you know, maybe they're getting an early warning that this person is, uh, you know, putting out angry Facebook messages or getting ready to do one of these manifestos and, and, uh, you know, ultimately result in, in one of these tragedies. And the red flag law then allows uh, law enforcement to come in and evaluate uh, the situation and then confiscate guns because they see an imminent threat. You have background checks, which is, I think, where most people, most Republicans and most NRA members specifically, agree there should be some kind of reasonable background check, which is simply to uh, make sure that someone's not a, you know, a domestic abuser, make sure that someone doesn't have a violent past, hasn't committed a gun crime, 
uh, or any other violent crime uh, you know these these so there's this big scale of things that you can that you can do the and and what we need to do is try to get the conversation centered around the things that we know are possible and that we know are going to get you know the most traction in both parties i think the mansion to me approach uh which is basically uh includes a, a kind of a background check uh is one that has bipartisan support in the senate um obviously what we've got to do is you know you've got to get enough momentum in the senate for uh leader mcconnell to to, to bring an issue up and and my fear always on all of these issues is that Presidential campaigns in particular, but most federal campaigns in general, tend to overheat this issue in a way that causes people to not do anything. And to back to your original kind of where you started with this, Lou, what, what it's going to take is either Republican candidates losing on this issue uh, or it's going to take uh, some real commercial <laughs> difficulty uh, with 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 this court action that starts costing manufacturers a ton of money and you know that that might cause them to retreat some from the you know from the hardline position that they take speaking of uh electoral repercussions the the elections in virginia seem to have some of that play out yeah that's true and the, the reason for that is that uh it's really the suburbs that are driving this issue. It's the kind of the Moms Demand Action Coalition, uh, and and you know we saw that in in uh, Denver suburbs. We saw it in the Houston suburbs. We see it in the Virginia suburbs. We saw it in Jeff and my home state of Iowa. You know, in uh, in Ankeny, and you know, Republican candidates did pay a price there. Uh, I think you know it hasn't. It still hasn't kind of worked its way up to really threaten any members of the Senate. Um, but but localized in the suburbs, it's I think this is one of the issues that is costing Republicans some support. Um, however, there is a risk for Republicans as well for going too far on this issue, and and losing support in rural America, where the where the sort of cultural affinity for gun uh, culture is really strong, and they don't want to see Republicans go soft on this. And so there's a there's some difficulty in the Republican Party on this, uh, just like there is in the Democratic Party, I think. <laughs> well, that was that was awesome uh, work, Dave. Like, here's what happened in Virginia, Lou, to answer your question. The Republicans did nothing after a big shooting in Virginia. And there was a there was an outcry for action on this shooting. And for, for our listeners, can you just uh, touch on what the shooting was for those not familiar? Well, I mean, for God's sakes, there was there have been multiple shootings. There there was the big Blacksburg shooting a decade ago, uh, and then the most recent shooting prompted this whole discussion again. And there was there. This was right before the session, and the Republicans were in charge of the House and the Senate. And they just punted, right? Because the NRA is very strong in Virginia, and they just decided to do nothing. And then they stood for election in November, and the Democrats ran on this gun issue. They said, look, we got to do something 
about these mass shootings. And, you know, like this is a big deal. The Republicans were totally tone deaf to it. I think they're, they're totally tone deaf to it going into 2020. It's going to cause problems for a lot of their Senate candidates. Uh, I think Cory Gardner in Colorado's in big trouble. I think McSally in Arizona's in big trouble. Collins is in big trouble. Like they all have to deal with these issues, and they they just don't have anywhere to stand. So, so it sounds like uh, you, what you're saying is, as more and more of the voting public is directly affected by some of these mass shootings, we're going to see more and more uh, candidates who support some modicum of gun control winning over those who think anybody should be able to have a bazooka. Is that, is that kind of a summary of where you're, where you're heading for this? Yeah, I think, I, I think in, in the last 10 years, if you were a total advocate of anything goes with guns, you won. And in the last 10 years, we've had so many mass shootings that people are finally saying uh, something weird is going on here and it's not going on anywhere else in the world like it's going on here. And we got to pull back a little bit. Okay. So I want to circle back to red flag laws just a little bit because there's, you know, there are some people who will make the argument that by giving, you know, your neighbor or your coworker who doesn't like you or whomever this ability to see something, say something uh, that may or may not be there because they don't like you. You're creating a scenario where, where people who don't like you get to report you for something and, and sort of cause you all this hassle. So to that argument, uh, Jeff, what, what's your, what's your counter there? Well, I don't, I don't, I think Dave, Dave Cotchell should not own a gun. <laughs> so you're safe so because you, I would you fact, call the do police? Do not own a gun. I own hey, something far more dangerous. I own a motorcycle. Uh, you're a Republican, aren't you supposed well, to own a gun? Well, so this yeah. this is what this is why this is such an awesome podcast because I have a gun in my garage, and Dave <laughs> has a motorcycle in his garage. <laughs> yeah. What about yeah. somebody who has yeah. both? Oh, well, so so here's the thing the the. Red flag laws, I think, which there are about 10, 12 states that have them. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about due process and the need for due process. You, you, have to, you, you can't just report someone and then, you know, automatically the law enforcement comes and picks up their gun. I mean, you, there has, you have to go through a process where the person has to, you know, their the social media posts have to be examined. You know, maybe there are other you know, other requirements, they have to, you know, go through a questionnaire, um, you know, people, be, people who know or them are they interviewed. they have a domestic violence charge. Or, yeah. Or, or there are, are pre-existing charges that, that uh, would, you know, make sense to prevent their gun ownership. So, you know, you can't, you can't just pass a red flag law and then I decide that I don't want Jeff to have a gun. So I call the I call the the police sheriff. chief in Des Moines and tell him, uh, you know, to go get the gun. Uh, well, you know, we used to way. have laws like that in in Iowa, but then the legislature changed it and said the sheriff can't even decide if you're okay to have a gun. Yeah, that's uh, 
yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. I, I mean, look, I, I'm uh, I'm a moderate on a lot of things, and gun control is one of them. I, I I believe in believe in and support the Second Amendment, but I do think we have to have reasonable restrictions. The you know the problem is we don't talk to each other about this. We talk at each other. We're all looking for advantage. Uh, Republican candidates beat up Democratic candidates for wanting to grab your guns, which Beto, you know, helped supply that argument for the 2020 cycle for sure. Uh, And Democrats, uh, you know, go after Republicans for wanting gun ownership to be mandatory. Uh, You know, we got to stop talking past each other and get together on a few of these things that we know. We already know. The social science is out there. We know that people support background checks. It's, It's just simple uh, you know, logical, common sense. Don't give someone a gun if they've got certain kinds of violent histories. Uh, it's just, it's just simple. And you know, the slippery slope argument is old and tired at this point. We should find ways to do this, and 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 we should find ways to to reduce the number of assault weapons that are on the street. You cannot do it with mandatory uh, buybacks or confiscation. Um, I do think that these, uh, you know, these uh, voluntary buyback programs are great. They should be well-funded and, and people should be incentivized to give them back. And then you have to have other controls as well. Bump stocks were a good start, but the, but the size of magazines really are, are, that's some of the most important things that actually can prevent these large mass scale shootings. Because when you have the access to these huge magazines, you see what happened in Las Vegas. I mean, people can get off so many rounds in such a short period of time. Uh, we, there's no reason to have, you know, a 30-round magazine for any By, for by, any by the weapon. way, just a brief aside on Las Vegas. Um, you're talking about the Jason Aldean concert. Correct. Uh, I was in Las Vegas that night, and I'm a Jason Aldean fan. Thank God I didn't know he was playing. Yeah. an outdoor concert because <laughs> honestly i would have been there i was there for a conference and i was at the other end of the strip uh, i actually went to bed that night at 10 o'clock which is kind of hard to believe in las in vegas? vegas but yeah because oh, yeah. uh, i was going to be there for three nights and i just wanted to go to bed early the first night it, but honestly if i had known he was there i would have been there and i would have been at that shooting well, this is one of the reasons why the issue is is gaining in salience, and it's very sad that it is. But uh, the number of people now who have either been involved in a mass shooting or know someone who has has grown exponentially over the years, and um, it is, I think, one of the reasons why uh, some of these arguments about you know so, so these common sense arguments that we should be able to agree on are, are going to gain some traction. So in the realm of, of common sense, which, you know, I think is, is easily interpreted differently by different people. Uh, it, you know, it sounds like, and, and I wouldn't disagree with this, um, mandatory background checks seem to be something that most people can get behind red flags. I think there's still a little bit of apprehension on that, uh, on the, on the, on the deeper, uh, pro gun side, but when you say magazine restrictions, uh, what to both of you, Jeff and Dave, is a reasonable 
a, a reasonable magazine capacity. I, I think, you know, what what's reasonable to everyone? That's a good question. I think you've got to. Uh, it's it's probably it's under twenty. It's probably in the fourteen or fifteen range. I don't know enough about guns to know kind of what the you know what the sort of normal Glock, you know, handgun uh, magazine is gonna is gonna carry. But it, it um, I think we we could certainly get to a number if we get reasonable people together and start talking about it. Yeah, I, I I don't know what's reasonable. I mean, if you have an over and under shotgun, you have two shells in that shotgun. And that's enough to kill pheasants or deer. Uh, if you're in your home trying to protect yourself, I think if you have a two bullets, I don't know, do you need a six shooter? I mean, that's that's the question when we talk, you know, the in 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 some of the states with higher gun control, the magazine capacity is capped at 10. That's, you know, I think Massachusetts, California, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure where else. Those like are the Illinois. two I'm familiar with uh, after living in California for a long time. Uh, so that's that's Lou, sort of are the, you a gun owner? Uh, I am a gun owner. Uh, what is I your have... maximum capacity? Hmm. Uh, 30. Oh, interesting. Yep. How yep. do you feel about, uh, the government limit, limiting you to 10? Uh, in all honesty, I don't know that it changes a lot. I think it's, so what do you have that has a 30 round capacity? Uh, I have a rifle with a 30 round capacity magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that the the reality is whether whether it's somebody responsible who owns it or somebody who's not responsible who owns it, the quantity of of magazines that are out there that have uh, whether it's thirty or they make sixty or a hundred round magazines, the accessibility to most people who may want to use this for for inappropriate reasons, uh, it, it, you know, they're not hard to get. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived in states where they're banned. And they're not hard to get. Um, but but all, all I'm saying is if if we limit things to 10 and then you have a 30-round mag, what are you going to do? Legally, I would have to turn it in. Well, what, what will you do? I, I don't know that I'm going to answer that question. But legally, I'd be required <laughs> well, to turn it that's in. That, like, this, is, this is why the Beto O'Rourke argument was ridiculous. Because... The mandatory buyback, like Lou, if I said to you, I'm going to give you 20 bucks for your 30 round clip. Sure. And you're going to say, go fuck yourself. I don't own a 30 round clip. Or, or conversely, I might say I paid 60 for it. Why would I give it to you for 20? Right. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the big arguments with buybacks is, you know, you go to some of these buybacks and, and the government is offering 40 and 50 bucks for, for a firearm that somebody paid $800 for. A few, hey, a few other points I want to make on this. There, there, there are definitely uh, part of this debate, like um, as I was preparing for the show, I was kind of reading up on, you know, kind of where some of these arguments are, are coming down. And there was a huge issue in... Los Angeles after the riots 
where you had you know all of these riots and uh, and these Korean uh, shop owners uh, got together and basically created a almost an informal militia where they went and armed themselves because they were tired of being looted. Uh, you know you're gonna have you're gonna have to address things like that. They they were getting guns illegally, but they were you know compelled to do it because of the the violence and kind of lawlessness that was taking place in 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 LA at the time you've got you know you've got uh, ex-military who you know are really uh, you know I think that this is such a big part of their culture um, you've got there are so there are so many legitimate uses of of these sport rifles that I I mean I think you're gonna have real problems trying to get even to a to a ban I think we start with magazine capacity because that has I think the most direct correlation to the the severity of these mass shootings and then you and then you can uh, you know you can ramp up the the uh, voluntary buybacks and hopefully get some of them out of circulation and then I think once you're there uh, and, and you and then you, you you go to background checks once you're there I think you can start talking about okay well how how are we going to be able to actually ban the future sale of these? But I think you know we, I think we've got some things that we can agree on. Now we just need to get ourselves clear of the sort of the electoral noise of all this, and and see if we can get you know both chambers to to really talk to each other instead of trying to you know put one over on each other. So so well, you know you're not a, a gun owner, and, and Jeff owns one but doesn't carry one. Let's let's talk about the cultural element of it and some of the people who think that for the purposes of self-defense, they not only need to own one, but should be able to exercise their right to carry one open or concealed as, as they see fit. Was is there is there still a place in America for people to carry a weapon uh, in a civilized society? Dave? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think um, I think it should be a rigorous. Um, I, I think it should be a rigorous set of standards that allow people to conceal and carry a weapon. Obviously, we've already talked about the conditions that we need to place on on uh, future gun owners with background checks. Uh, but we but- have open carry in many states. Like concealed carry is not even a thing anymore. No, we have yeah, you're right. We have yeah. open carry. We have people walking through Walmarts now with an assault rifle on their person. I think that's terrible. Yeah. In in some states, uh open carry is still legal. In a lot of the uh bluer states, it is it is not legal for open carry and 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 concealed carry is a rigorous process. So is that a, you know, from from a cultural standpoint, is is there still room for these things? I mean, what if you're uh you know, let's take a populous area like New York City, right? Well, look, in 1995, 22 years ago, no, 24 years ago? Yep. Math. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, You're obviously not an Andrew Yang supporter. Yeah, I'm not an Yang Andrew plug? Yang supporter. <laughs> the Yang in gang? 1995, I worked in the Virginia legislature. There was an issue... Uh, in that legislature, the Republicans brought up an issue. They said they wanted to allow guns in bars and churches, 
1995. They, they, they made that a vote. And our majority leader was a guy named Dick Cranwell from Roanoke. And he says uh, on the floor of the Virginia House, he says, even in the wild, wild west, you had to check your gun at the door before you got into a bar. And I was always like, holy shit, that's a awesome argument. <laughs> <laughs> so, so not in favor of, uh, of concealed carry. Uh, on, and I don't even like Jeff's the side. open, I don't even like the open carry because like, it's terrifying. Well, like I saw a guy with a sidearm in downtown Des Moines the other day. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Right. So look, what we have to do is, is, you know, set those set those things aside and go to the few things that we know we can build consensus on that we have evidence that they make a difference uh and and start there you 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 gotta you gotta there's gotta be a couple of baby steps here and you know we we're gonna have to figure out how to how to allow some credit sharing between both parties which is almost impossible in the current environment uh, but I think when, you know, when someone like, uh, you know, Senator Manchin and Senator Toomey get together and start kind of whittling away at things and, and, and actually find uh, the ability to, to, I think, craft legislation that would, that would get a pretty solid majority in the Senate, we should be encouraging them and we should sort of set down the partisanship. Uh, I realize it's not going to happen usually in an even numbered year. You got to do it in an odd numbered year. Um, and you probably have to do it in the first year of a presidency. Uh, but, you know, so we only have certain windows of time when you can affect change like this outside of the, the typical, you know, go to your corners, put on your jersey and get into the and get into the you know, political battle position. And, you know, so we, we're just going to need to look for these opportunities to do things. Uh, pray that it doesn't take more shootings to spur us to any action, but uh, keep the temperature turned down on this and the and the sort of ideological rhetoric away from it. Look for the few things that we know that we know has uh, majority support. Give credit to both parties that are willing to work on it, and then get it passed. I think the country would would breathe a sigh of relief, and even even a, even on the smallest, uh, you know. Uh, thing maybe it's maybe it's the red flag laws. Um, it would be, I think, useful to to see something get done, or a pilot project to do uh, voluntary buybacks that are that's that's bigger than what uh, exists in current law. I, I don't know what the issue specifically might be, but I know that there's a place that we can go where both parties can kind of allow each other a little bit of credit for actually making some progress uh, without undermining second amendment rights and without you know uh getting into these big cultural fights that we have to have all the time okay so we're we're running uh close on time here but i do have a couple more uh second amendment related questions i want to i want to get into a little bit quickly if we can um the the emphasis from the the anti-gun side uh seems to be around mass shootings but mass shootings do not account for the vast majority of gun-related deaths in America. Uh, should that conversation be shifted to, 
you know, uh, uh, suicide, domestic violence and, and street crime, which, which is a lot more of the shootings and a lot more likely, or the more stay with the more newsworthy events such as mass shootings. Well, look, yes, you're right. There is a bigger problem with domestic violence. There's a bigger problem with drug, drug trafficking, violence. Uh, but the only way people are going to pay attention is when you have some crazy person killing 20 or 30 innocent people. And so we have to use those moments to say, okay, what, the, what are we doing? As a country, you know, you suggest that that sticking with the 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 mass shootings because of the notoriety is is sort of a, a path forward to to moving somewhere on on gun control. What's your stance on the argument that if the news media were to show the level of actual carnage following one of these events instead of uh, homogenizing it for us? the public would be more aware of just how devastating some of these attacks are. Well, uh, I don't know if we need to show a lot of blood and gore. I mean, if it helped, I I'm all for it. Okay. Dave, do, do, do we need to start showing just how bad it is? No, I don't think you do anything that, um, uh, that uh, either glorifies the shooter, which is oftentimes what they're seeking, or that um, traumatizes uh, other children in the country. They're traumatized enough having to go through these drills in their schools. Uh, I, I, I don't think that we need to do more on that. I would like to go back just, though, and say, uh, you know, I think it's 22,000 uh, gun-related suicides every year. Uh, so many of them are returning soldiers, way too many. Uh, we should be moving together on that. Both parties should be able to agree on that, and I think for the most part do. We need to open up more access to mental health um, treatment and uh, more access for, for, for quicker, uh, the ability to get uh, help for military, ex-military uh fast-tracked and, and get into a process sooner. There's a lot we can do. We should spare no expense when it comes to that. And uh, we ought to have a, a larger conversation about mental health as well. And this is something where, you know, states play a big role, uh, communities play a big role, but in particular, because we can so easily identify this as a real spiking problem, the VA and the policy around how to get services unencumbered quickly to uh, to uh, ex-military is critically important. I think we can all agree on that. So I have uh, one final uh, final question on on this topic. Obviously, we'll we'll be picking this up again in later episodes. But um, in regard to the lawsuit that started the conversation, should the arms manufacturer and this is uh, I'd like to get a, a a somewhat quick yes or no from each of you. Should the arms manufacturer bear some of the liability and responsibility for what happened? Jeff? Yes. Okay. Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Like, of course they should. 
Yeah, I'm going to break with my party on this, as I often do on, on many issues, and say that they bear some responsibility, because I think that it would actually spark... I, I We, we, we kind of had this conversation a few weeks back on opioids. I think th that when when uh, commercial entities are are forced to pay a price for the for the consequences of you know their commercial behavior, uh, they may rein in that behavior in a way that helps everybody. So that's uh, I, I would kind of put those things together. I think we've we've found some some common ground in the gun debate, uh, at least between us, that may not extend to too many other people, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's where we're going to wrap this one up tonight. I'd like to thank Jeff and Dave for joining me. Uh, Dave, yet again, congratulations on your good news. Uh, Excellent. Hopefully, we, hopefully uh, we've been able to share some perspective. And speaking of perspective, is yours for or against? And what you're for or against isn't necessarily the point. It seems that a lot of political discourse I encounter these days is what people are against. I'm against Trump. I'm against immigrants. I'm against guns. I'm against gun grabbers. I'm against people who are against me. So here's our ask. Tell us what you're for. Open the political conversation with telling people what matters to you, and you might find more common ground in intent, even if the method is an argument for another day. Give us your thoughts on Twitter at CentristPod. Thanks for joining us. As always, please subscribe, share with your best friend and your worst enemy. See you next week. Mm -hmm.